about six months or so later, about mid 2016, I closed my bank account and say, well, if I can't live unbanked off of crypto, this thing isn't going to work. And so it worked for a few months. And then I had, ran into an issue where Bitcoin's transaction times and fees got too high and it was no longer feasible for me to live that way. And so I had to explore a separate way of living. And so it went down the, you know, the cryptocurrency list and see like, what else is there out there? Ethereum wasn't going to be used for currency. And, you know, in retrospect with the fees and stuff the way they are today, that was a good, good decision. Uh, Litecoin was an abandoned project at the time. No one was developing on it or anything. So that, that didn't work. There was no Bitcoin cash, nothing. The first one down the list I came to was Dash. And I was like, oh, I remember that from back in the day. And I just switched to using Dash. And, you know, that was here I am later. That's still my primary money I use. I still don't use a bank account. Hi everyone, thanks so much for tuning in. Before we get started, I just have a few short messages. First off, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe this podcast. It's the best way to help us grow and help me get on bigger and better guests. Also, don't forget you can pre-order my book, To the Moon, The GameStop Saga, right now by following the links in the description below. We've also got a few quick sponsors for the show today. Are you bored of TV? Do you like drugs but can't afford them? Are you still paying alimony? Well, maybe it's time to read How to See a Man About a Dog, The Collected Writings. Get your dose of surreal prose and poetry with this dark comedy collection. How to See a Man About a Dog is a collection of experimental short stories, powerful poems, and pulp fiction prose that will take you on a wild, hilarious, and heartbreaking journey. Surrealist short stories, memoiristic poems, and haunting jokes guide you through the wild imagination of emerging writer Samuel Knox. For the reader looking for a wholly original and experimental mixed media approach to stories, How to See a Man About a Dog is a much needed fever dream tour de force. How to See a Man About a Dog is a kaleidoscope collage made of equal parts delight and despair. Internationally selling author Samuel Knox blends sci-fi, horror, fantasy, and non-fiction into a single enrapturing vision of what it means to be human in the modern age. You'll find the ebook on Kindle Unlimited and print copies at Amazon, The Book Depository, Waterstones, and most major retailers. Check out How to See a Man About a Dog Now and take a journey through the human experience. It's the month of Halloween and the witching hour is upon us. It's the perfect time to try out one of the spookiest and most intriguing crime podcasts I have ever come across. How I Died is a fiction podcast with a full cast of voice actors and high-quality production value. The series follows John Spacer, who moves to the small town of Springfield, albeit a much less yellow or cheery version of the Simpsons' hometown, and is confronted with a case he's not so sure he can handle on his own. A woman found dead with her husband and child both missing. In episode one, John begins to hear the voice of the dead woman on his table, and he talks to her as he deciphers just how she might have died. No one knows about John's gift, and he has to hide it from his boss, an untrusting sheriff who is always looking over his shoulder. The first two seasons of the show are available on all podcast apps, but be warned, 
These stories are not for the faint-hearted. The series is for adult audiences, covering topics of murder, threats of violence, and stalking. How I Died has passed over 1 million downloads since its launch, with a vibrant community all trying to solve mysteries along with the show. So that's How I Died. Find it wherever you get your podcasts and see if you can solve the mystery before it is too late. Links for everything will be in the description below. So check them out and then please enjoy the podcast. So uh, yeah, let's go. Um, So hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Chatter. Today I am here with Joel Valenzuela, whose name I promised I would not butcher. So Joel, welcome to the show. Well, thank you and congratulations. I think you did a fine job. That's awesome. Uh, sometimes I yeah, get a little tongue-tied, especially when it's like weird names um, or ones at least that I haven't encountered in my life. Weird for me, mm-hmm. I should say, not just weird. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, you know, we've got like, we're, we're mostly like, you know, the mm-hmm. O'Briens and, and yeah, just very bog-standard Irish names. <laughs> yeah, well, that's more than fine. I mean, uh, sometimes you get a weird curveball in there that's just... You know, and then, of course, you have to speak a few different languages or have some sort of familiarity to really know how they're supposed to be pronounced. And then there's always people who have like anglicized pronunciations. And it's it's kind of funny. Yeah. So anyway, we are here mainly to talk about Dash, which is um, a fantastic and wonderful new type of digital cash. So, yeah. Do you want to do you want or I say no. Do you want to explain to people what Dash is and give them like a little bit of introduction before we we get a little deeper into the into the topic? Yeah, so to be quick and concise on that, Dash is a the word is a portmanteau of digital cash. It's a cryptocurrency created in 2014 that was made to fulfill the role of digital cash in a more precise way, in a more a better way than anything else that's come before since. Basically, it started in the beginning as a an answer to what Bitcoin was doing at the time, where the founder, Evan Duffield, did, did not see enough, I guess, privacy and anonymity functions in the Bitcoin core protocol. And so he created a coin that was initially, for like a day or two, it was called Xcoin, but quickly it was called Darkcoin back in the day. And it was basically just, big, just Bitcoin with a coin join mixer built into the actual protocol which you know makes it easier for you know obfuscating the origin of transactions for a very you know very basic like i guess consumer grade privacy purposes because if you pay for your coffee and the person who receives the payment can then look back and see how much money you have that's that's not going to work in any situation and so that was the initial thing that was that was dash's claim to fame but then with the rebrand to dash I believe it was 2015. Uh, then came a bunch of other innovations, such as the masternode system, which is the first. I'm, I'm sure today with the DeFi world, everyone's into staking and things like that. And Dash is kind of one of the first. Uh, you can set aside some money and earn recurring income kind of projects on that. But it's more. it was more for the incentivized infrastructure to basically allow the, co- the coin to scale to mass levels and also provide some special features such as absolutely instant transactions, extra security. And the thing that people don't really seem to remember too much is Dash is the first successful DAO or decentralized autonomous organization. And it let, it let um, 
basically stakeholders have a vote in not only funding development teams and things like that out of the core protocol, but also on major decisions such as the block size war, which uh, the same question was asked in the Dash community in, in the very beginning of 2016. And an answer could actually be arrived upon definitively and no no splits, no arguments, no none of that kind of stuff. And so as it stands today, it, Dash is the best digital money in the world. That's quite a claim. Uh, so yes, yeah. Let's let's get into a little bit of why why you think that. So, um, when did you join? Uh, when did you join Dash? Actually, when did you start working with? Yes. Them? So for a long, uh, basically in I gotta I guess tell my Batman origin story here, sort of thing. But I started using cryptocurrency, you know, in the form of Bitcoin in 2013. At the end of 2015, I decided this space was too exciting to ignore, and I wanted to live exclusively in the space. And so at the very end of 2015, in order to go uh, do a proper deep dive, I decided to stop accepting payments for anything in fiat currency. And I would say, if you don't pay me in crypto, in this case, specifically Bitcoin, I'm not going to take it. I'm not going to take the job. And so about six months or so later, about mid 2016, I closed my bank account and say, if I can't live unbanked off of crypto, this thing isn't going to work. And so it worked for a few months. And then I had ran into an issue where Bitcoin's transaction times and fees got too high and it was no longer feasible for me to live that way. And so I had to explore a separate way of living. And so it went down the, you know, the cryptocurrency list and see like, what else is there out there? Ethereum wasn't going to be used for currency and you know in retrospect with the fees and stuff the way they are today that was a good good decision uh litecoin was an abandoned project at the time no one was developing on it or anything so that that didn't work there was no bitcoin cash nothing the first one down the list i came to was dash and i was like oh i remember that from back in the day and i just switched to using dash and you know that was here i am later that's still my primary money i use i still don't use a bank account and that's how i got into dash and somewhere in the beginning of 2017 I joined some project, the promotional project that was, you know, funded from the uh, official governance system that was called Dash Force. And we did that from 2017 to 2019. And then since then, I've, you know, gone independent with my own content channels and stuff like that. And just the last couple of months, I've been you know, on the side helping out with this project called the Dash Marketing Hub, which basically is, it's not exactly similar to the the first thing I did, but it's more it's basically an incubator for ideas where anyone can propose an idea. It's like a microcosm of the governance thing, but I guess that's a little bit of a, <laughs> that, that kind of deserves to explain the whole governance thing then. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I want to, I want to get to the governance, um, the decentralized autonomous organization, cause that's really interesting to me. But uh, before we go there, I want to ask about what it was like those first months, especially trying to, exist without a bank account and accepting like only cryptocurrency basically like i'm i'm curious as to even even back then because like it's it's very possible now a lot of people exist that way but back then uh mm -hmm. that would have been seen been seen as a a very radical idea um like how did you find that what was it like trying to buy just like groceries or pay bills or like what how did you how did you navigate all those little, little things? And is, uh, I, I've seen people talking about like every transaction in a cryptocurrency being a taxable event. 
um did mm. was that something that was the case then like was that something you had to deal with so really quick on just the regulatory stuff because it's an ever-changing landscape um i don't the as far as the in the u.s i don't believe there was anything super clear about cryptocurrency at all in the beginning because of course it's magic internet money that no one even believes exists like they don't have a they didn't clarify rules for reddit gold or you know world of warcraft gold or anything like that and at some point it was said oh it's a it's property so anytime you sell it anytime you realize those gains it's capital gains anytime you sell it and then it was at some point in the years later re-clarified well, spending is a taxable event. And then at some point it was clarified. Well, at some point there was a legislation introduced to do a, an exemption for certain amounts, like if it's a low enough amount, so to not be onerous in reporting and stuff. And I don't know if that's ever gone through, but it's basically been a fast expanding kind of a thing. And so a lot of people have just sort of, you know, a lot, there's a, a lot of people have had very different strategies on, you know, reporting and things like that and various different successful strategies, I might add. And that's something I don't know if it's the same way in other countries, but the U.S. tax system is very complicated. And a lot of times, basically what you got to do is you follow the rules to the best of your abilities and then they accept it or don't. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's kind of like, well, let's see if they'll buy this and yeah, they bought. All right. You keep going. It's the, the amount of small business owners who I, I believe there's it's a zero, like almost zero percent of small business owners cross every single, you know, dot every uh, debt, every I cross every single T as far as what could be interpreted in some ways. Just here's here's what happened. Do you like it or not? You know, everyone's been sort of paid under the table or whatever at some point in life, even some of the more compliant people out there. So that's just kind of a, a large um, yeah, that's just kind of a large thing to explain that whole thing. Hmm. But um, what was the next part? I'm sorry, I got on the on the. What was it like? What was it like existing yes. at that time, paying everything in crypto? And what cryptocurrency were you using? Was it primarily Bitcoin? Yes, it was primarily Bitcoin because I think at that point it was ninety to eighty-five to ninety percent of the market capitalization of all of crypto together, and it was almost all like all the other cryptocurrencies that existed at the time were not in anything what one would what one could call wide use they were just little experiments off on the side and it's like it was like bitcoin and then the rest mm -hmm. and so it's important to note for context that the area i live new hampshire is full of crypto people and it has been forever i mean really roger ver first heard about bitcoin by listening to a new hampshire based radio show that's how we got into it uh, at our local meetups, we've had Vitalik Buterin, Gavin Andreessen, uh, Eric Voorhees used to be here, Charlie Schramm, like a whole bunch of these. The first Bitcoin ATMs in the world were invented here in New Hampshire. And so it's no it's, been, it's quite a, a, a crypto hotspot as far as like actual usage and adoption for money purposes. And as a result, uh, there are quite a few people who would be willing to take crypto payments even back then. And so, like, for, more in the um, I went more in the like the informal economy, the the friend to friend, the farmers market type world. So, yes, I was able to buy you know groceries and things like that there. Um, there was also a couple of very valuable services, um, 
call well first of all is purse i'm sure everyone's heard of purse by now where you can basically buy anything off of amazon using bitcoin and that's just everything and then there was one uh, service called gift gyft which lets you buy certain gift cards in a in admittedly sort of clunky way but like for example if you say hey i know i go to you know such and such a store regularly i'm going to keep a running tally of gift credit there and then i can do that so between a combination of things it it basically worked i have paid my rent before directly in crypto in various times and also um I use some to cash out to cash sometimes because there's always people saying, oh, yeah, I want some. I don't want to use exchanges. And so then you do a little exchange there. And so especially when I had a bank account for those first six months or so, it was well under six months around there. But especially there, during those times, you know, it was easy enough to do like a to cash out and use the bank then. And then it was after that, it was, you know, after that, things were a little bit different. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of development in the in that space now. At least it's it's much easier, basically, to to get paid and to pay for for things in in many different cryptocurrencies. Like, not that you would want to in a lot of the cases now. With like, for example, with mm-hmm. with with ETH, with the gas fees, it just makes it completely unattractive. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so I had um, Kurt Wukert Jr. on my on my show last week. Uh, so I, Kurt says hi. Okay. <laughs> By the way. <laughs> that guy's a top top guy great dude yeah he was a lot of fun to talk to like give me some perspectives mm-hmm. that I, on on a lot of different parts of of like the bitcoin world that i had not really can considered or thought about it from this angle and um like i'm i'm still like i'm stumbling into this space um with more knowledge than probably the average person at this point but like nowhere near the level of like comprehensive understanding of the entire space that people who who have been like in this for six seven eight nine years have so um it's great mm-hmm. to be able to speak to, to people like yourself to 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 kurt and and get like a get some some interesting um perspectives and ways from looking at it and uh he he's obviously a big advocate for for bitcoin cash for bsv um so which by the way those are two separate projects they used to be the same project mm-hmm. but yeah yeah, yeah you, so you got B, bch and, there, and there's BSV. a third one now ecash ecash okay i haven't looked at that i will definitely have yes, to have a that was the guy who created the first bitcoin cash omari sachet and then Bitcoin SV forked off from that, but then he got forked off as a minority fork from Bitcoin Cash, the project that he kind of started. And then he rebranded the new one to eCash, did a times a million redenomination, you know, so it's easier to spend small amounts. And then very interesting guy. But basically, those plus dash, I would say, are the prime contenders for the digital cash space. You have Nano in there as well, I believe. And then depending on some people would consider some of the privacy coins such as Zcash and Monero to be in the di- digital cash space. Although it's arguable to be, depending on how much they're actually attempting to be used in real commerce. But yeah, again, that's all that. And I would call, I wouldn't call Bitcoin a payment coin, although you could call the lightning network, lightning coins mm. as it were, which is technically Bitcoin, but whatever you could call that in the payment space. So that's kind of the, the payment space, which is oddly not as fiercely competitive as a lot of the other spaces. It seems like it's very open for there to be a clear contender to emerge in, you know, in this kind of space. It's not quite, kind of like the DeFi space where it's just absolute success is almost assured to not happen. It's almost <laughs> assured that 
<laughs> you're going if you win in DeFi, you're going to share that top spot with three to five other projects. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so like because I mean, I guess Bitcoin, like BTC, has has um, mm-hmm. has kind of won the digital gold store of value sort of thing um, for whatever reason. I mean, it might be the 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 non inflationary nature of it um, because it's first could have been a number of things, but like I I'm interested as to like what your case is for why dash is better than than say bch or ecash or bsv as kurt advocates for like what what is setting it apart from that and like what flaws do those um currencies have that dash doesn't in your mind at least yeah so i like to be a couple things clear first off i'm going to try to not you know talk smack about any of these things because oh, i man, come on I give me some controversy like- <laughs> I, I will i'll give you some but i'm just saying i like i like the space in general and it's i use what i think is the best option and if i could not use that option i would probably use one of the others so it's not like they're all trash this one's good it's like well there's a competition and is one i like the best and then also i should point out that if there was a better option, I would be using that today. So because it's not just, oh, I get to go swipey swipey with my card all the time or tap and pay or whatever, like in more civilized parts of the world in here. And I just get to do that and then just like, talk, you know, basically shit post on Twitter about how I like the best digital cash in the world. But this affects my life in a very real way. So it's I pick what works, the best tool for the job, in my view. And I mean, I know others similar to me who are unbanked who kind of do this. And that's just the kind of the pre- the preface behind the whole thing. But uh, the entire reason why any of these coins exist, and it, it goes back to a governance failure on the part of Bitcoin, where Bitcoin had a fork in the road, which, you know, it's kind of a, a <laughs> sort of pun intended at that point, but it, it hit a fork in the road where there the plan all along, according to the Bitcoin white paper and Satoshi himself, et cetera, was to scale on chain to basically make the blocks bigger, make more transactions able to come through. And just that's how it expands to feed the entire world, to have the entire world be able to use it. Mm. And at some point there became a difference of opinion where you have some people saying, well, no, if you do that, you won't, not everyone will be able to afford to run a node and then they will have to rely on someone else to run a node. And we don't think this is good for decentralization. So we have to not scale on chain and scale on off chain solutions. And so there was, because of this disagreement, uh, rather than just moving forward with one or the other, this disagreement became like a like a political war where people were arguing over this kind of stuff. And eventually uh, who I get, again, I don't have specific data to this effect, but I believe the minority viewpoint won out through a cleverly constructed campaign and the majority viewpoint, which is, you know, let's actually increase the block size did not win and then ended up having to split off into a minority fork. And so the inability to create that decision is what created a problem. And that's one of the things that really kept me feeling a lot better to be using Dash is because I know that if there's a problem at some point, the network holders can be put to a vote 
can be polled and say, which way do you want to go? Mm. And that's what happened in 2016. While this was all boiling over, the Dash community put together a question. Should Dash pursue on-chain scaling or should it pursue off-chain scaling? And on-chain won by a landslide and then there we're at. And so there are no persistent governance questions in Dash today because they're resolved by a vote. And a vote that you can verify, a vote of the majority of people who or the majority of the coin supplies and holders of the coin supply. And so, and of course, enforced by the miners as well, because Dash has a miner and masternode system. And so you can basically be sure that whatever happens is the will of the network as a whole. You can come together as a conclusion. And so I don't really believe in the future of a coin that doesn't have this. And as a, it doesn't have some sort of explicit governance mechanism like that, because that's the entire reason we ran into that problem with Bitcoin. Then Bitcoin Cash split off. And at some point, it was the prime contender of, oh, we're like Bitcoin. If it didn't have, if it didn't have these people that won, if the right people won, this is what it is. And then at some point, there was an, a disagreement with some changes being proposed with Bitcoin Cash. And then that caused a split off into Bitcoin SV. And so then it's like, okay, we couldn't come to a conclusion, so you split up. And then after that, there was a further disagreement, and then people split off from Bitcoin Cash into eCash. Mm. And so the existence of all these means that there's a problem, right? There's a problem where you can't imagine if every single time you had a relationship squabble that was more than just extremely minor. There was, you know, then you, the only way to resolve it was just to end the relationship. Or imagine if you had a business disagreement that was, you know, it wasn't just like one small thing, but it was, you know, oh, I really think we should do this. I think we should do that. We can't agree, dissolve the business, split into two. Like there's got to be a better way of making decisions because at some point you'd rather stay together and have the wrong decision according to you went out, then you would just split it. And so none of those main coins have that, it have a governance um, system. Now, um, in the case of eCash, it's kind of run. There is a, I believe they have some sort of a governance council type thing, but it's, it's basically Amar Zashay, the creator runs a development of it. And it's like, because that guy's in, in charge, you don't really need governance decisions. But then again, that introduces a centralization risk and all the problems that people don't like about cryptocurrency. So I, I will put that one as a caveat. So that's the number one reason why I believe Dash is better as a or more reliable as a digital cash than all these other projects. Now, so for example, you have projects like Decred, which also have a governance mechanism but as far as i know no one's buying anything with decred like no one's trying to really use it as a as a money i definitely could not live off of decred that's for sure and so it's like things like that so the number one governance the number two thing i believe only dash has really solved as far as actually you know decentralized scarce etc digital currencies has solved instant transactions because in under two seconds, a Dash transaction is finalized. You can't say that about Bitcoin Cash. You can't say that about Bitcoin SV. You can't say that about eCash right now. I mean, I think they're working on some like dual avalanche Nakamoto consensus thing where you could technically see that, but I, 
I can't comment too much on that because it doesn't exist yet. But right now, the instant transactions and also irreversible blocks. Once a block's in because of the decentralized consensus mechanism used by the master nodes, there's this cool thing called chain locks, which basically after a, a, a block gets in, the master nodes lock in and make that block permanent. And so it's basically one of the biggest problem, I guess, attack vectors of proof of work, of mined cryptocurrencies. People don't know this, but no Bitcoin transaction is permanent. Practically speaking, they can be. But so if I send you, let's just say, a million dollars worth of Bitcoin, just because I'm a nice guy and I happen to be loaded, which don't take that for track. I'm nowhere near that. <laughs> so if I sent you that, after a few six or so blocks or an hour, or a couple hours confirmations, you, you could probably consider that to be relatively permanent. However, let's just say in a month's time, someone spins up mining machines and is able to attack the network because they get the majority of hash rate and is able to maintain it over that amount of time. They could theoretically reverse the whole chain, right? Everything. They could... They could any transaction is can be temporary if it can be reversed by a 51% attack. And that's exactly what's happened. Bitcoin SV has experienced this a, a few times recently. Um, I believe Firo uh, Privacy Project has been has experienced that as well at, right before they implemented a protection against that. Um, Horizon, when it was called Zencash, experienced one of those. Like, the, you know, Verge, there, it, the list goes on and on. And so... That's one of the reasons why I think that Dash has this specific system. Now, Bitcoin Cash, I believe, has some sort of a checkpoint system. I I have to actually do get this exactly straight, but there might be something where blocks get permanent after 10 or so, every 10 or so blocks or something. I But it's not done in a decentralized manner where you have, of all the holders of the network, of the 4,600 masternodes out there, you have to have a, a quorum of those is selected and then they put their stamp on it in at random. And it makes it extremely difficult and expensive to attack the network. You'd have to own over half of Dash's entire supply. And so that's just like, in addition to owning half of the mining, at that point, you are Dash. You're not attacking, you're attacking yourself, right? Whereas it's not the same with others. All the Bitcoin forks, you know, don't have this kind of issue. And so, yeah, eCash, there's a lot of, promised things in eCash right now. The, so I don't want to comment on what they might come up with in the future, but that's the case with them right now as well. And so security, like instant transaction security and all that really like works out. And um, the I'll, I'll mention something that doesn't quite exist yet, <laughs> which I, I always get burned when I mention this kind of thing. <laughs> there was this project conceptualized in 2015 Honestly, started work on it somewhere 2018, 2019, and is finally slated to come out any any month now, which was codenamed Evolution. It's been renamed to Dash Platform. Hopefully, going to be named something better, but basically an actual usable system for cryptocurrencies, right? Where I'm not sending you to... I, if I send you some money, it's not going to be to XY7Z, whatever the long address. I send it to your username. And you can send back to username and we can friend each other on the blockchain. We can create a contact list and send repeat payments back and forth. Have a, a social payments, actual like real social payments, but 
not trusting any centralized third parties. That's built into the network itself. And that has been live on testnet for about a year now, I believe. I have a little use, I have the testnet wallet that has like the, the fake testnet coins on Dash that I've been using pretty much all year, just trying it out. It works great. It's just not with real Dash yet. But when that happens, that'll be something that really puts it ahead of other things. There is such a thing similar sort of that's been built on Bitcoin SV in the form of hand cash and PayMail and things like that. But that's not in any way, you know, decentralized or social in the same way. So that's another thing. Remember, I mentioned that the digital cash space is has relatively little serious competition today. It's the usability and username space, as far as the protocol level is concerned, is very barren. Like you have .eth username, but they're extremely, you know, simplistic. You have, you know, uh, Fio has some project like that too, but they're all very simplistic. And honestly, the demand for it isn't there yet. And the the thing that has nothing to do with specifically Dash, but is extremely important, is practical usability is in adoption. Because if I was going to spend crypto in my daily life and it wasn't Dash, I could get like halfway there, maybe, maybe two thirds of where I am today if I use Bitcoin Cash. If I use the other ones, I could get nowhere. And maybe I would put Lightning, the Lightning Network close to on par with Bitcoin Cash on that thing. But because of the usability bumps along the way, it would be. Just it would be a hardship. I don't know if I could continue to live the life. <laughs> so, uh, because of that, so there's an interesting app that was released this year called Dash Direct, which lets anyone right now in the U.S. Uh, spend Dash at 155,000 plus merchants and save an average of five percent on all of that, all without releasing custody of your funds and without KYC, without giving your identity, just real digital cash. So like, for example, I can go down at the at the Best Buy and get like an SD card, pay Dash at the counter and it works and I save a few percent. And then there you go. Just that simple. And that has made it super easy. It, I was already dealing with this before, but now that this exists, it's made it really easy for people who aren't extremely, you know, well-versed in the, the living on crypto life. It's made it a lot easier for those kinds of people to to be able to do that. And that combined with a few other different services that accept it just makes it so much easier. Hmm. Cause I guess that's where, I guess that's where everything becomes, that's when the, the dream of crypto being the day to day payment tool becomes reality is when it becomes that simple. And for people, you know, you have your app and your username and that's, that's all you need. Like go, you don't need to think about like, you know, yeah, the the wallet co- the wallet keys and and all the complicated stuff. Basically, that's that's where it's gonna cross over, and that's I guess what that's what a lot of people are waiting for. They're waiting for that sort of exponential growth as as it becomes more widely adopted. But there was there was a couple of questions I, I had there just um, mm-hmm. to go back because you said a lot of things there. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, so basically, I'm curious as to. Uh, two things to begin with. First of all, this this idea that mm-hmm. like Bitcoin transactions can be reversed. Um, it, like I just mm-hmm. I didn't one hundred percent understand exactly how that works. So I was wondering if you could explain yeah. that. And this idea that um, Dash is very much 
like that that couldn't happen in dash because of the mm -hmm. the the way that it's set up with the, the the community is um very decentralized in how they run things and and how the 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 nodes yeah. are distributed um and basically i wondered if you thought that that's necessarily a good thing because to me that like just to play devil's advocate i think when you see mm -hmm. projects splitting off into different venues that then that that's like a it's a it's like fun testing grind this is like yeah go see what yeah. works like you know you you think this is going to work different sweet let's let's have them you create like a hundred different ones and we'll see which one's the best and eventually we'll all arrive at the conclusion that this one is best do you know what i mean like i i'm not such a a pessimist about the fracturing of the bitcoin community i think in that way because it's finding yeah. the best ways to do things in my mind at least yeah so those are two very important questions. And let me hit the first one. Let's just go deep into how proof of work works and how, like, how mining works and then how this chain locks thing works. So when you mine, right? When you, uh, as a miner, you point all your hash power towards the blockchain, you start mining and creating blocks. And there's a, there's a chance, a based on how much work you put in that you will find the block. And so mm -hmm. if you're say the 60, if you have like 30% of the hash power of the entire network, then like three out of 10 blocks, you're going to be the one to, to put those in and take all the transactions and all that kind of stuff. And that's just how mining works. Now in it, what happens if you are, um, if you, are the majority hash rate owner. Like you own two thirds of the hash rate or 51% as they call for a 51% attack. You basically get to dictate, you know, where the chain goes, which blocks are valid. And it's, you know, the majority of the hash rate goes that way. And the minority either has to go with that or splits off into a new coin. And so what happens in a 51% attack is they use a, a thing called secret mining where a miner mines parallel to the way the chain is going. They mine separate, like literally make copies of every block that's happening, except without the transactions in them, right? So if I send, like, for example, you send your money to an exchange and then, or you, you let's just say you withdraw from an exchange or whatever like that, you make a big transfer. That transaction is in the blockchain, but it's not in the secret blockchain. And so they mine a long secret chain. And at some point, the longest chain is always whichever one has the most accumulated hash power. And so they do it. They do a longer, better chain in secret. And then they go, Hey, surprise. <laughs> they publish all their blocks. They, Hey, surprise. We're the longest chain this whole time. All these transactions here are invalid. Get out of here. And then now they're the longest chain. And all those transactions you thought you were making are just reversed. So the all Bitcoin is reversible in that way. And it's, it's a fringe. So this has happened in a lot of uh, a lot of um, cryptocurrencies, such as Bitcoin SV more recently had one of those. And I'm sure they have what kinds of explanations of why it didn't really happen, but it did. <laughs> Transactions were reversed. And it's not it's it's a very simplistic. It's a very simple kind of thing that it just reversed the transaction. They can't without access to the actual keys for all the laws, they can't actually like steal your money. What they can do is revert is make, make it roll back time. It's just like, you know, 
I'm sure you've seen all the plenty of Marvel movies and stuff where they just roll back time to a previous time. That's all it is. The reset, the whole um, Doctor Strange, you know, <laughs> roll back time. And so, for example, what they usually the most common thing they do is they steal from exchanges. Like, say you have one Bitcoin and you want to sell that for, I don't know, a whole bunch of Monero. Let's just say something that's harder to trace. And so you send it to the exchange, you swap it around in for Monero, you take the Monero out and it's gone. And then you you publish, hey, surprise, that transaction never happened. And then the money's back. The exchange just gave you a whole bunch of money. They lost a bunch and they never got the Bitcoin that they thought they had. Mm. And that's why proof of work currencies that are considered to be insecure are always that the exchange always makes you wait like 80 confirmations or 100 confirmations or what they make wait like days long because it costs money to do a 51% attack, right? To Because you have to basically be the majority miner for a period of time. And so no one's really going to attack the chain for like a whole month because that's expensive. And like, why, what do you get from it? Right. They just want to, usually that's what they want to do, but they could, if they had that much hash rate. So that's kind of how it works. Bitcoin is such a well-entrenched cryptocurrency that it's the likelihood of a 51% attack, especially for, you know, minor purposes is it's very low because you get to see the hash rate distribution. Most of it is in the U.S. today, I believe, after the whole China mining ban. And you get to see the, the point. They, the big pools could collude and reverse transactions, but then that would kind of destroy their long-term investment. And, you know, it gets a little, it's probably not going to happen, but it always could. Like if the U.S. government said, you know what, we're commandeering these pools, we're going to, reverse these transactions because they were sent to terrorists or whatever. We're just going to reverse the whole chain there. They could probably do that. And you'd kind of hope that there would be mining power elsewhere in the world that just wasn't active because it wasn't profitable. They would come back online and come to the rescue, but it's not guaranteed. And you could have all your transactions reversed. And it's, it's, you know, again, it's not a huge problem, but it could be a huge problem. Mm. And so just to make sure that never happens, Dash has this thing called chain locks where you take the master nodes, which are specialized nodes that are collateralized, right? You have to own at least a thousand dash to qualify as one of these. And that's like around 200 grand today. And so you have to have a group of those and every single new block that comes out. Remember, there was the secret mining that they they mine in secret and then go surprise. Mm -hmm. Every single first seen block that comes out, they make that permanent. So if someone did secret mining with dash and they said, Surprise, here's a longer, better chain where the majority, you have to do it. Nope, all the blocks in board were permanent. They were already written in by the master nodes in a decentralized way, found out that they're per, they're legit. They're the first seen block. There's a first seen rule. Again, that's another I guess, technical term, but then they get locked in. And so it, you can't just surprise them with that. Okay. The, the worst you could do is if you had the entire hash rate, what you could do is now you just decide which blocks which new blocks come out are legit but then it's just one at a time it's not you can't just reverse a whole bunch of transactions hmm. and so yeah that's that's basically how chain locks works and in order to disrupt that you have to disrupt i believe it's something like 60 plus percent of the master nodes which is you know a lot of money and so yeah it's it's basically anything is theoretically possible but it just it it's arguable that even though it's a much smaller network that dash is more secure today than bitcoin is i mean that's mm. that's kind of where it is so the more decentralized so, just yeah. just to clarify the more decentralized that yes. network is 
the less vulnerable it becomes. Yes, and I think that's true of just about any network. Mm. Now, there's the opposite, which is the more money is being put behind either either in Masterdose in Dash's case and miners, or just in Bitcoin's case, just in miners, then the more money you have to have in order to attack the network. And so that's kind of the thing, like the bigger you are, too big to fail, right? <laughs> that whole thing. Hmm. Yeah. And so... Uh, what was the second point? Uh, it was oh, basically oh, yeah, the fork. Yeah, the uh, I was yeah, I was just cu- curious as like the just just more conceptually like is that is the the community voting and then just going in one direction and sticking with whatever the community wants like is that necessarily better than um the community in in the bitcoin sense in splitting and all trying their different ways of doing things like is is that necessarily better basically is my question. Yeah, so there is a little bit of a distinction here between like a hard fork, like a chain split, where the same chain splits and then it goes into two and they both think that they're the real one and they're both fighting it out. And one of them either wins or they just end up being kind of like religious denominations. They're like, no, we're the real ones. No, we're the real ones. And there's b- between that and a code fork, which is where you you take the code, copy it, make some changes and start anew. So for example, Dash is a code fork of Bitcoin. It takes the base Bitcoin for code, the base way it works, changes a, a quite a few parameters as it turns out and kind of runs that way. And so in the same way, because Dash is an open source cryptocurrency, you can take the Dash code and make copies of Dash as much as you want. In fact, uh, I believe PIVX was a code fork of Dash. It was taken from the Dash code okay. and it was run, but it was not trying to be the real dash it wasn't like a split and so that's that's the big i mean if you talk about how many bitcoin code forks there are out there i mean you can't count them <laughs> there's so many <laughs> projects that are built up. obviously litecoin was one dogecoin was one uh, decred i'm sure was one just so many of these were and there's a very few in the early days such as let's say monero or ethereum that were actually built from entirely different code bases but it's basically the exact same code base with some things changed. And that's, I think, yes, that's a good thing. People should be able to try over and over. The The problem comes from when you disrupt the main coin, right? Where you say, this is it. Like, let's just say like, this is what Bitcoin is. And then someone else says, no, this is the real Bitcoin. No one says, which is the real Dash? Because it's clear which one's the real Dash. But it's like, which is the real Bitcoin? Oh, wait, now you have coins on both chains now and that has become crazy because uh i believe in some tax jurisdictions they consider split coins airdrops and then you have a bunch of capital gains you owe so for example if you have bitcoin and you're a for a lack of a more eloquent term a boomer (laughs) understand (laughs) like if you don't know what's you just i i heard bitcoin's great i'm gonna have bitcoin you have one bitcoin then all of a sudden you uh, now you have a bitcoin and a bitcoin cash and then that bitcoin cash now turns into a bitcoin cash bitcoin sv and then an e-cash then or rather now a million e-cash so you have all this extra money that you didn't even know you had but you have it and you owe taxes on it and isn't that scary to just have this big basket of all these other coins you didn't even know you had you never bought you never wanted wanted to receive 
Now you just have them. And then now, now the government's mad at you for not paying. And you just, I wish I didn't have them to begin with. So that's kind of a, that's a messy situation. Now, if someone just copied the, someone just makes Dogecoin out of the Bitcoin code base and you just don't have any Dogecoin, that's, that's fine. It's much simpler. Well, I mean, you're, you're, you're obviously going to get be fucked uh, if you don't, if you're not holding Dogecoin in the long run. Like, let's be honest here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Elon's holding it. You can, <laughs> well, uh, you can see the Doge pillow in the background. Oh, no, I can't. I haven't got my internet. It's not good enough. I'm sure whoever's watching at this point, it'll, it'll be like HD um, on your end. So they'll be able to see it. I'll be able to see it once I've edited it. <laughs> um, yeah, of course. Yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a big fan of uh, just the, the, the Doge idea just for the fun of it because it's, it's just amazing. I love, the, I love that quote mm-hmm. from Elon Musk about uh, how fate loves irony. And wouldn't it be ironic yeah. if the cryptocurrency made to insult and make fun of cryptocurrencies became the one that everyone used? I love that. That's just like, that's yeah. the world. Um, so I, I personally hope that's true. That would be really fun. Um, <laughs> but yes. that's just for entertainment. I mean- I, I really believe that uh, there's a, and this is completely unrelated to Dash, but <laughs> I believe there's been this prevailing theory that ever since, um, do you remember Harambe? The, yes. Uh, the ever since Harambe was that, that broke something in this, in the multiverse. And now we're, we're living in meme land because things don't make sense since that happened. A lot of strange things have happened. So it could, we have a Doge president next a doge emperor doge god emperor of the entire planet before like 20 years ago i would say absolutely not now i'm not i can't be sure i can't be 100 sure either way yeah we like i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna make that sheep toshi nakamoto for uh for president 2024 mm-hmm. how could he be worse than the other options um that's <laughs> true very true. But the, uh, like I, I'm working on a theory. Um, so I'm writing a book about mm-hmm. GameStop at the minute. Um, and the, mm-hmm. the whole saga. The stonks. Yeah, the stonks. And just what's unfolded. It's mm-hmm. potentially the most amazing, both dark book about corruption combined with uh, this thesis that memes run the world. Um, and that mm-hmm. if you want to figure out what's going to happen, you just meme about it and then watch that mm-hmm. become reality because that just seems to it's just like is the stupidest thing becomes the just seems to happen no I, it's like there was a there was a theory right okay this take a second to explain but there was a theory basically going around at the weekend that was definitely a joke but maybe not um that mm-hmm. uh so the wu-tang clan album that had been only pressed once and sold to martin shkreli was auctioned off by the police after he got arrested to an a, like an yeah. NFT collectors um, group who are rumored to contain Ryan Cohen, the the CEO of GameStop, because people were pointing out that this person in the photo has a hoodie on backwards covering their face, and it's the same hoodie that Ryan Cohen was wearing in some picture he posted on Twitter, right? And the theory went that GameStop are going to issue an an NFT dividend of fractional shares or fractional NFTs of this single pressing of this Wu-Tang Clan album as a way Mm -hmm. to expose how many 
shares are in circulation of the company that should or should not exist, depending on how much you believe their theories and how much they turn out to be true. And basically, the, a Wu-Tang Clan album was going to be the thing that exposed the greatest corruption in financial history. <laughs> Yeah, it's very possible, I have to say. Yeah, I mean it was very, it was yeah, it was a whole bunch of people trolling, but after a while I was just like, hmm, this seems too good to I just I want this to be the real way that well, yeah. Anyway, but uh, we've got a little sidetracked here. <laughs> yes, of course. So, well, yeah, it's fair enough. Um so how many people are in your estimation using dash on a on a day-to-day basis do you guys have any idea of that like so i was looking at the market cap here so it says that the market cap is just a smidgen over two billion dollars um so which suggests that there's you know at least a a reasonable amount of people out there using it the the volume uh the 24-hour trading volume was uh, a little over a quarter of a million um, or sorry, a little over a quarter of a billion. And so like there, there's there's plenty of transactions going on in this. Like how much of this do you think is people using this for their day-to-day lives? Like what sort of adoption do you have on this? Yeah, it's, so that is the key. That is the, um, the question that absolutely no one can answer for any project. Mm. That is for sure. And funny enough, let me just use the example of Doge. Do you know that Dogecoin has about a third or fewer of the transactions it did before the pump? Really? Like it's being used significantly less if you look at the actual blockchain. Now, that's because Dogecoin was being used more than people thought, but it was largely because it was extremely cheap and fast to get confirmations. And so people just had, and there was just so much, so many Doge around that people would use those for exchange arbitrage, for example, to where they'd move, they'd sell some Bitcoin for Doge, move it to a different exchange and then rebuy Bitcoin there. And then, so there's all, all kinds and then weird tip bots. And just, it was just so cheap to send Doge that then every, it was all over the place. And then what happened was with the price, the price astronomically spiked and the, it had a one Doge per transaction fee. Now that one Doge is several dollars. So I don't know exactly where it is now, but Doge was actually one of the more expensive cryptocurrencies to transact in recently. I think they might have introduced a a change to the code so it's cheaper. But then because of that, then the use case actually just collapsed. And then almost no one was actually using Doge. They were just buying it on Robinhood, which means the coins don't actually move. They're just, you just say that you own more, yeah. et cetera. And so that actually has changed completely. and. The real rea- the reality is anytime you have a network that is not near capacity use, that doesn't have actually, and it's extremely cheap, border on border ground free, or even free to transact with, then you won't be able to really know what the data on chain says. So all that being said, uh, what we do, all we have is anecdotal sort of evidence so one thing that i know that is it's interesting so in south america particularly venezuela there's this company called crypto buyer which is basically a point of sale system that a lot of the large merchants use for example in um, venezuela there's a, a bunch of giant supermarkets a bunch of everything it's pretty much the predominant point of sale system down there that you know you can basically you can live off of crypto in venezuela right now because of because of this and they it's not public numbers, right? But they consistently report that 
Dash is either the top most used in the region or it's number two to Bitcoin some months. But it's like it's it's all back and forth. And I'm I mean, it doesn't surprise me that it's winning out over Bitcoin in a in lower income areas where tra- a transaction fee of like 50 cents to a dollar is probably too much. Mm. Um, that's something that we know for sure. And I see a lot of anecdotal evidence of people specifically using this new Dash Direct app to do a lot of things on. I mean, I know um, there's a few people who are running like their construction business throughout. They go to Lowe's and buy everything at like a 6% discount or whatever it is and or 8%. I don't remember what it was. And they're able to save a lot mm. on supplies for their business. Yeah. And that kind of comes through. Yeah, that can be, and, that, can, that can make a big difference actually. Like when you're, when you're running it like on, on, yeah. When you, especially if the business yeah. is like, running close to the edge in terms of profitability like that that sort of five to eight percent could be just like absolutely crucial yeah. to the whole thing staying afloat well to correct three point i don't know if you can see but it doesn't matter 3.8 percent. Three point eight. still but still yeah that's that's like if you're running a a, a company where you're buying a hundred thousand dollars of product every year then that's not an insignificant amount of money you're going to be saving yourself yeah i mean if you go and buy over a thousand dollars in material in a single day for a construction project, that's thirty-eight dollars, which is then you know extra that you can do with other other cool stuff. Hmm. It's so my, buy some Doge. The actual, yeah, of course, <laughs> buy something to stake with. For example, hmm. yeah, the the exact numbers are very difficult to tell. I do know that obviously in South America, there's a very strong dash presence there as far as the, what the point of sale processors are. Are able to say I know Dash is accepted in just about every you know major crypto business uh, with a couple of poignant exceptions. And I know a lot of I see on the internet a lot of people posting, "Oh, I bought my lunch with Dash today. Here, I bought my this. I bought my that." There's a lot of evidence there out there, and um, I've actually been you know in- encouraging people to actually go make videos of this kind of stuff just to because on the one hand it 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 gives you um, an actual representation okay at least that transaction happened even if we don't know about the rest at least that one happened but also once you kind of get out of your comfort zone and spend it it becomes very addicting and then that, that creates more so i definitely and locally here in new hampshire it's by far i would say the most used cryptocurrency and there's a call there and that's not necessarily representative of the world in perfect fairness because People were using Bitcoin for day-to-day purchases for you know ever, for the last ten years, mm-hmm. and at some point, it became difficult to do that with Bitcoin. And then, what happened was the local crypto users, the I would say community leaders, but it wasn't real, you know, all just people. But all the people who were like heavy crypto users and came together and just said, "Okay, we can't use this anymore. What should we use?" And they sort of voted, which again, this does not compel and it just sort of like let's all agree to be focused on this and like what are you going to use and the top as a dash was like two-thirds of the people said well we'll use this because it's the only other one like a third thought ethereum i'm you know, i'm glad that didn't win out and so hmm. most businesses tended to use dash ever since it just kind of like they never stopped using it right and so because of that and when you have other things in like i think that bitcoin cash made significant inroads because it it but what we have to realize is Bitcoin Cash didn't even exist, uh, existed a year after everyone here switched to Dash. So it, and then it, w- it wasn't, didn't have any kind of usability or 
community for another at least six months, probably. And so for the most part, people here have just been using Dash ever since. And so that's why it's probably overrepresented considered compared to other locations. But I mean, there's plenty of evidence of people actually using this. I'd have to we'd have I'd have to start trying to find a different compilation of sources that can kind of pin together this kind of like, is it used for real things? Um, but also I kind of challenge like who else is using what, right? Mm-hmm. As far as, as, as other things are concerned, who's using what for what? And yeah, we'll, we'll see where it goes from there. Um, especially now that um, there's a compelling, easy reason to spend dash in the, in the U S and I would say crypto because there's, not really that for anything else. I think we're going to start seeing a lot more like recurring traffic, a lot more things like, like that, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I believe the company that makes the Dash Direct app is making it is making some improvements so you could spend it at effectively any merchant, also without KYC, also without losing custody of your funds, which is something that you won't really see for other projects, I don't think. And so. Yeah, that's what I got for you. I don't know how unsatisfying that answer was, but I mean, it's it's being used. That's that's all I can tell for sure. It's definitely being used. How much? I mean, let me be also perfectly honest. No one's using crypto. Like as far as <laughs> like there's me and three other guys who use it on a daily basis pretty much. Like almost anyone else is not using crypto as money. And you can see it by the way the market demand for services that's things the free market is undefeated. And when you say like, oh, what has the highest market cap? Of course, that's where the most money is flowing into. Doesn't have anything to do with usage, mm. but you can tell with businesses, right? Where the DeFi space, the everyone wants to buy crypto and everyone wants to spend crypto. You can tell, I mean, everyone wants to buy crypto and everyone wants to earn interest on that. And you can tell that based on the businesses that are cropping up, the profitable businesses that exist continuously to meet that demand. Now, who's using it? Like how many point of sale apps or for merchants or things can you name for crypto? And it's like, not really. I mean, they all suck. There's they're, none of them are any good. Mm. Like, cause there's no competition because the demand to spend it isn't there yet. And I believe we're starting to hit a reversal of that trend now. And I also believe that by the time the next bull market comes around, we're still in the bull market. It's going to turn to the bear market next year, probably just my gut feeling. And by the next bull market, we're probably going to see actual mass adoption for payments. Okay. That's interesting. Um, I'm interested. Yeah. Yeah. I guess we'll, we'll, we'll see how, how I think you're, you're definitely right about like no one, there isn't really people using it in a day to day life. Like the, and the only companies are offering it mostly is as a gimmick, especially a marketing gimmick. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Especially companies marketing like marketing gimmick today, mass adoption tomorrow, you know? Yeah. Like there was not even a marketing gimmick a year ago or so. Mm-hmm. So now that you can, now all you have to do is have that little push. And with everything, there has to be a demand for using it. Who's going to buy cryptocurrency to spend it? I mean, I know, I know some, but I know all of them mm. pretty much. Like, there's very few who are going to do that unless they're very ideologically motivated, or they have a like a say five percent incentive kind of thing, which you know that could work too. Yeah. But I believe when everyone has crypto, and like when that's what they have, they're going to want to spend it, especially if they 
have an incentive to do that. And so I think we're hitting the point where almost everyone has crypto, not almost everyone, but like, what do you, uh, in the US, I would estimate that over half the population has some kind of exposure to crypto in some way by now. Exposure is in, you mean they've heard of it? Well, is in, well, everyone's heard of it, Wow. but is in, they own some or their son owns some okay. on their behalf or every like it's as of this year because in my like finger to the wind thing is like all the young people i know have it like all the all of the kids these days and the number of older generation people i've talked to who have it or are very interested or trying to have it get into it this year mm. is just pretty massive i i think that by next cycle it'll be as many people have let, let's just say as many people have crypto as have an Android phone in the first world. Mm. Like not everyone, but a lot of people, right? Mm. And so you wouldn't see all these major chains, all these major retailers saying, I'm going to accept cryptocurrency payments, even though I have no evidence that there's actual demand or no one's trying to pay for it here. You would not see that without everyone, without a large amount of people actually having exposure to this. And I think then we have another three or four year bear market to figure out what actually works for the payments. And then people are actually going to start using it by the next time around. That's my prediction, at least. I mean, you can call me and yell at me if I'm wrong, but whatever. I mean, I'm not, I'm not convinced that the 50% figure is, is true. I think it's considerably less than that because just because like, now, this is just based on like my experience with speaking to people mm -hmm. about it, it's like people my age and stuff is that like it's a certain type of person that has become interested in this. Um, and I'm not sure I can nail down like specifically like one type of personality, um, but mm -hmm. I know a lot of people who this is not this is not like a this is not an attack on them at all. But, you know, they're in their mm -hmm. their like nine to five job. I don't know, say they're like a nurse or a, they work in a law firm, just like a couple of friends off the top of my head. Like, And they they have spoken to me about cryptocurrency. They're interested vaguely in it, but they don't have any. They're not. They, they, it's not even a consideration. And, and like, because, because we, there's a friend of mine that we sort of joked around with earlier in the year at the start of the year being like, oh, come on, why don't you buy some GameStop? Why don't you buy some, some Bitcoin? Why don't you like, just, you know, what's 10, 20 quid, you know, just, you know, do it. What's, what's wrong with that? Like that you'll spend more than that at the pub this weekend, just, you know, mm -hmm. dip your toes in basically. And, um, there's just like complete resistance to it. So I, I'm not sure the 50% figure is, is, is accurate, but that's just my sense of it. Like, I don't know. <laughs> it could be very geographically oriented. I mean, I know obviously, you know, Ireland's quite different in a lot of ways from the UK, but I know the UK, I've heard a lot of similar resistance and a lot of the UK exchanges, you know, have not have like misconceptions about dash in particular and there's it's just been a difficult market and of course other parts of of europe are quite different but for example in 2017 around this time of year 2017 uh, coinbase was the number one app in the app store in the us and so it's not just in top 10 but number one of all the apps past facebook past twitter the most one that the world is trying to get so they can use it and then that has happened again quite a few times during this this bull run as well. 
And so, um, for example, you know, if you're on YouTube, you're bombarded by crypto.com ads. Crypto.com is an official sponsor, is the largest sponsor, I would say, of the UFC, the Ultimate Fighting Championship, mm-hmm. which you know, MMA has become a huge worldwide phenomenon now. One of the larger sports, maybe not, you know, in the top echelons, but it's it's there and everyone has crypto on their shirt now. And it's we're we're really getting there. Mm-hmm. We're getting extremely close to this is something that everyone is using in some kind of way, shape, or form, I believe. Mm. I mean, it could be a case that like we're just a few years behind in the UK. Um, because I often find that that's the case that we're just about three to four years, maybe five or six, depending on what the issue is, down the line from wherever America's at. Um, so perhaps, perhaps we're just, yeah, just a tiny bit behind on that. Um, so the last thing I, I kind of wanted to ask about you was, um, about the gas fees. Like, why are they so low? And if you guys have cracked it, why hasn't everyone else? <laughs> yeah. So that, I mean, there, I'll start with the simple, the very simple answer and then go on to the it's a complicated long-term issue but uh basically i'm going to start it bitcoin and ethereum are the only networks where this is really an issue Mm -hmm. i would say unless there's some others that have cracked up because dogecoin had high fees at one point in 2017 litecoins fees were over two dollars per transaction but that was for a brief period of time there's always like exceptions monero had several dollar fees for a while and then they changed their uh, their proofs to bulletproofs and then the fees went way down and like there there's always been cases but as far as consistency persistence of high fees has been bitcoin and ethereum the entire reason bitcoin's fees have been so high is because of the restricted block size that is not grown beyond one megabyte so therefore there's a lot of demands chasing the smaller supply and then the price goes up and Ethereum, it's a more complicated version of a similar thing. And I kind of learned this more recently that a lot of Ethereum community members, et cetera, are not supportive or the consensus is not supportive of raising the gas limit very much. Say, oh, we got to go on chain, off chain scaling. We got to use all these L2s. We got to do, but there's been, and, um, I wish I could pronounce his name, but Nikita from Blockchair has had some interesting insights into this because he's a big block person, like he likes Bitcoin Cash, et cetera. But then he's also big into Ethereum and has called out specific developer kinds of uh, criticisms of just say, well, of basically not expanding, uh, basically, basically coming up with the idea that the fees, as bad as they are, not as bad as making it infeasible for the average person to run a node. And so it's that with Ethereum, there's extra layers to that, which is, of course, there's a lot more transactions going through. The transactions are very much larger than a simple send this to that. They're just complex smart contract type thing. And so there's just a lot more traffic going through on the chain. And also there's less caring about immutable transactions on Ethereum, especially if these are operations and they don't mind as much going on L2s, et cetera, et cetera. So to first to categorize that, the, the high fee problem with DeFi chains is a little more nuanced, right? There's actually more, but it, it, but it, it's all just not enough capacity, right? 
And so then you have chains like, let's just say Solana, which have, you know, insane capacity for transactions at low fees, but they cut a lot of corners in order to do that. So to basically answer the, the simple answer is Dash decided to increase the block size, right? That's a simple answer to that's why you can do, and I believe Dash has done at most three or five million transactions in a day currently, but there's university research from the good thing. Uh, my neighbor is a scaling researcher at Arizona State University, <laughs> and they have tested at PayPal levels and with simulated Dash master nodes, et cetera, and have found that it can handle handle the load. Of, and the actual, it's not just make the blocks bigger. There's a lot of optimizations you have to do in the code to make that really happen because otherwise all your nodes crash and there's there's a bunch of other things you could do. But the, and Bitcoin Cash, Bitcoin SV, all those are approaching it the same way as well. The thing that in my view puts that over, puts Dash over the limit is first off, because of the instant transactions, you, the because of the way the instant transaction functionality works with the masternode layer, even if you don't get the transaction in a block per se, because it has a long queue for several hours, it's still permanent instantly, and you can still respend it instantly because of the uh, a function similar to that thing I call chain locks, which is called instant send, but basically locks in every transaction within about two seconds. Mm. And so because of that, even if you had, like, let's just say on Bitcoin Cash, if they had a congestion day, they had like millions and millions of transactions, and then one day it's like you had to wait three hours for a block, that could pose a problem. But with Dash, it's just, you don't even notice it. Uh, so that's one thing that makes it better. But the other thing is because masternodes are, you know, a special kind of node that are actually paid from the block road. They're paid in fees. They're actually paid to do all this stuff. Whereas all other regular non-mining nodes are not paid in these Bitcoin forks. Because they're actually paid, then you can actually afford to scale up beefy hardware to actually in bandwidth to actually process large loads over time. Whereas uh, with, let's just say, you know, Bitcoin Cash, Bitcoin SV, if you had mass scaling to that level, you'd probably have to have like Bitcoin.com, the wallet provider, spend money on a node to be able to process all this or exchanges. And it would be a lot easier to just take down or censor the network because it would be fewer people operating large nodes, which is the entire reason why some cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin decide to not scale on chain because they're all oh, everyone should be able to run a node. And there is some there's a grain of truth to that. I don't think everyone should be able to run a node, but you should not have to rely on large corporations to do that. But mm -hmm. if you have a thousand dash, you can run a master node and you're paid so you don't have to actually run a big company to do that. And so based on 4,600 nodes, which is significantly higher than almost anything other than like, say, a Bitcoin or Ethereum today, I believe. Because of that, it's already, you pay for your own infrastructure. And that was the one thing I think that the two things, I wouldn't say, I don't think I would say Satoshi got anything wrong, really, but he got a couple things incomplete, which were explicit governance was a bigger problem, a bigger requirement than he might've anticipated. And the other thing is the economics of mining works out great the way he designed it. But I guess the non-mining node problem where people were going to have to run that and that would be a, a choke point 
where I, I don't think he really thought that was going to be a problem the way it has been. Mm. But if to basically put the economics of mining, the, the same sound economic principles and incentives behind the nodes and having civil resistant nodes by having a collateral requirement, i.e. master nodes, you know, then I think that would have worked out great. And it's my view that, you know, if Bitcoin simply had master nodes that Dash pioneered, if they just had the master node system that could then vote on things and were incentivized, that there would Bitcoin would probably still be around like eighty percent market dominance or something, and a lot of these coins wouldn't exist. So, like if if that, it's easy for everyone to say if Dash was the first one instead of Bitcoin, it would win out. Okay, that's a little bit of a cheap shot to say. Uh, it would be largely true in a lot of ways, but of course you'd still have Ethereum, you'd still probably have Monero out there, you still probably have a lot of other different projects. But yeah, that's kind of the thing with the fees. And at some point, here's here's a little bonus question, a bonus thing. Fees are what are supposed to pay for security, for mining, for everything, when the block reward, i.e. inflation, runs out. Because Bitcoin's only secure because of inflation today. Mm. And I believe the percentage of the block reward peaked at around 50% or something from fees, but now it's down to like 1% again, or 1% or 2%. And so at some point, Bitcoin's running into this problem. And I've seen some uh, Bitcoin people sort of starting to talk about it now, like, what are we going to do about this? Because at some point, every halving that happens, every time the block word gets cut in half, eventually the the price won't more than double every halving. And that means that you're going to have less and less money, which means less and less hash rate on a more and more valuable network, hopefully, which means a higher incentive to attack it, but not the money for the security itself. Okay. And what you need in that case, according to what Satoshi envisioned, was more and more transactions coming through the network so that the fees t pick up where the inflation left off. And it, it, that, that kind of works out. And Dash still works this way. Bitcoin Cash still works this way. Bitcoin SV still works this way. A whole bunch of these coins still work this way. The problem with pushing transactions off-chain to things like, say, Lightning Network and things like that is now you don't have those fees anymore. Now, which you, you could have both if you modestly increased the block size and still kept everything on Lightning, but each transaction, you know, just you'd say like $2 transaction fees, right? And most of them would be opening and rebalancing channels and all this operational stuff for Lightning. You could still work, but the, by keeping it at one megabyte, at some point, you'd have to have like $100 fees or more to sustain the thing on fees. But people that doesn't make you can't make lightning work on a hundred dollar fee <laughs> no. you have to make it work elsewhere so because of that i honestly don't know what they're going to do there's a couple of ideas for that which is um one is of course introduce a tail emission which is you have like two to three percent like two percent inflation for life on bitcoin and that's enough to pay for security and etc cetera, etc cetera. but first off i don't think know if that would be enough, but also that alters the sacred 21 million coin limit. And I don't know if that, I think that might be disastrous for Bitcoin, mm. we'll see. But then the other idea might is to merge mine with other cryptocurrencies. And that seems a little bit of a hacky solution, but basically this is a problem, an existential problem that Bitcoin is facing somewhere 
way off into the future, but it's getting closer each passing year because every, each passing few years when the happening happens, it becomes more likely to start being an issue, even if it's not a, an existential issue yet. Mm. And so I just like the dash doesn't have that problem at all and won't have that problem at all. There will be other problems. There's always problems in life, but that's just not one of them you have to worry about today. So I do like that. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I guess we'll see what, what, what the Bitcoiners do. Um, mm -hmm. It's uh, going to be interesting. I'm sure they'll have some fierce debates about it. But um, anyway, Joel, I've taken up a lot of your time here. Uh, I really want to appreciate you taking the time to explain Dash, uh, talk about some, yeah, the ideas for digital currency in the future. And uh, yeah, mm -hmm. I learned a lot. Thanks. Uh, and I hope, I hope the people yeah. listening have also, also learned a lot. So, so yeah, man, thanks. Thanks very much. Do you want to, uh, is there anything you want to sort of plug before we uh, finish up here? Yeah. So if you're on Twitter, um, you can follow dash underscore community. And that's a dash community Twitter. That is basically, if you want a Twitter source of all things dash, that's a good place to go to. I'm not going to plug myself on this. Uh, but that's that's a good place to go. And the big thing is if you are in the U.S. and there is going to be an international solution to this at some point, dashdirect.org. And dashdirect mobile app and, you know, iOS and Android and all that, that's a great place to actually learn, experience spending crypto in the real world before everyone's doing it, right? I'm, I'm trying to appeal to the FOMO now. Do it before <laughs> everyone's doing it. But so I believe they're working on solutions to, it's a very new product. It's like a few months old, but I believe they're working on solutions to come to other countries, including Canada and Europe, Woo. as well as just, just the US where it starts now, but it, all great things have to start somewhere. So that's just kind of what I would plug. Well, um, it's definitely an interesting concept and I will be very intrigued and watching closely as to who comes out on top of the digital cash sort of race battle, mm -hmm. um, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> gladiators of arena of, of <laughs> digital cash. <laughs> <laughs> of course. But yeah, man, we'll see. Um, I will put links for everything uh, in the description below for people. Um, and yeah, go check it out. It's a, uh, why not have a look? See what it's like. You can, you can tell everyone you paid for your groceries in crypto. Why not? That'd be a cool little gimmick. <laughs> but yeah, man. Yeah, of course. Thanks very much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget today's sponsor, How to See a Man About a Dog. For the reader looking for a wholly original and experimental mixed media approach to stories, How to See a Man About a Dog is a much needed fever dream tour de force. It combines dark comic short stories, powerful poems, and pulp fiction prose to create a heartbreaking and hilarious journey that readers will not soon forget. Read How to See a Man About a Dog, collected writings for free with Kindle Unlimited, or get it at major retailers everywhere.